Hey folks, welcome to the DC3 cast. I'm Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're recording this very late at night, so if Zach's whispering, it's because he's being a good husband to his wife. And, uh, but I, I can be loud. My wife's nowhere to be found. I'm, I'm in the basement by myself. What, what did you do to her? <laughs> uh, bachelor boy. No, she's upstairs watching The Bachelorette. Bachelorette, yeah, oh, the bachelorette, boy. bachelorette boy, exactly. So, uh, anyway, we're gonna start with uh, Deathstroke number nineteen, which is the third part of the Lazarus contract. This is uh, scripted by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Larry Hama, Carlo Pagulian, and Roberto Viacava. Um, this issue is the third part, as I said, of the Lazarus contract, and this lets us know what the contract itself actually was. The deal that Deathstroke and uh, Dick Grayson made was that uh, Deathstroke wanted Dick Grayson to essentially look out for uh, for Ravager and to uh, make sure that she doesn't live a life that is uh, that is similar to his own. And if Robin ever stops doing that, uh, Slade can re-up the contract and come after him. And that is the affirmation Lazarus contract, which is I think I think a lot of us thought it would be involving a Lazarus pit, or at least that's what I thought. But uh, what did you guys think of the reveal of what the actual contract was? I I thought it was very uh, very Deathstroke. You know, it'd be it would not really fit Deathstroke to have him messing around in a in a Lazarus pit. Mm-hmm. At least not the tone of Priest's work so far. You right. know. So I felt like what we got was like perfectly in line with what you would expect from his book in in a in a really fitting way zach how about you um i i like i had no problem with um like what the contract is i thought that it was maybe like a little hokey and misleading like i like the contract itself is fine I think to call it a Lazarus contract is really hokey and kind of on the nose. And so that aspect of the reveal, I thought was like, oh, that's what it is. Because it's just like, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, you resurrected. Okay, Lazarus contract. But you could literally call it anything else and it would probably make (laughs) not sound as dopey. But um, for the conceit of the crossover, I I can accept that. Okay. I'm sure Priest appreciates your acceptance. Yes. Um, what did you guys think of the issue in general? I uh, thought I thought this was the best issue of the Lazarus contract so far. And I think that mostly had to do with it feeling the most like an issue of Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. And considering that's the best book that DC's publishing right now, it stands to reason that it would be, it would be the best issue. But I think what was key about that was that it didn't it didn't sacrifice anything about this book to make it fit the crossover uh, in a way that betrayed the story that Priest has been telling uh, for, you know, 20 issues or whatever it's been by Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, this one's definitely my favorite issue so far. And um, just some like really good stuff like the the moment between wally 
Wally the Elder and um, Deathstroke, where he just like realizes he can't do anything, so he just runs away. <laughs> and then the like subsequent meetup with um, Jericho. Mm-hmm. I thought those were both really good. Yeah, those those were great moments. Uh, the moment where you see Slade like using the speed, the his like new speed abilities to uh, fulfill all these different contracts that he'd been meaning to get to you know (laughs) like so basically like the bastard in slade is coming out again and he's just going and like slaughtering all these people across the world because he can do it in like a blink of an eye now and uh that was a really nice that that was something that uh made it feel like priest's death stroke while it was part of this crossover um same with the replaying of the scene where Grant essentially runs away. Um, we we saw a couple pages of that scene again, and then it goes beyond what we saw earlier in the series to uh, him having a little, uh, I don't know, spat, I guess, with Slade. And then he gets hit by a car, and and they they take Grant away, and uh, that that you know that scene helps tie this into the greater narrative that priest has been going for for a year now you know so yeah it's a lot of really nice moments like that Wintergreen had a, a nice moment uh showing up to get slayed at the hospital and good stuff not to uh pimp my own work too much but if uh, if anyone out there has not read the interview we had with priest on multiversity last week i would definitely recommend checking it out uh, there's one tip that he says in there which is that for the average issue he sometimes writes up to 48 pages of script. So that scene with Grant was actually from the second issue of the series that got cut for space reasons and was brought back here. And I I would love to see the scenes that got cut from this run so far. Also, oh, like a deleted scenes issue. That would be like, that would go right along with like the secret files thing that I said I wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be perfect. Yeah. Put us on at DC. We'll, we, we will curate your uh, your secret files, secret origins. Deleted scenes, line, all that. Who's who. Oh, I'm all about that who's who, baby. Yeah. Oh, man. it's Isn't it kind of surprising how long we've gone without a new who's who? There was talk, like, right around the time of uh, the Superman Grounded arcs, like, right before Flashpoint. That they were working on a news who knew who's who, and then yeah. nothing ever came of it. Probably because the internet exists, <laughs> right? But you know, still. Well, there was also you know so much conjecture that there would be one um, during the new Fifty Two, but of course that never happened. Yeah, yeah. When you it know, made I, sense. <laughs> I think I think part of it, and this is just purely speculative, but I think part of it is that comics comics have been such a fluctuating sell that I wonder if they can't justify, I mean, what is the market for a who's who these days? You know, us. like, yes, us, but, but people out there are already finding themselves <laughs> having to pick and choose the actual stories because of costs and, and the economy and things like that. And, um, yeah, I guess it's yeah. probably just not financially worth it to them anymore. Right. Well, see, I think that's why I thought 
you know, around the time of New 52 would have been the perfect time because everybody was just itching to, like, find out what was still, you know, canonical or, like, you know, that that's the time to do those kinds of things when things are in the air and people are itching for that kind of information. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised they haven't done it as an online thing or a digital-only thing. That's a good, oh, yeah, yeah, if it was, like, a 99-cent thing every week and it had, you know, just, like, two or three profiles in it or something. Yeah, or even if it was just, you know, I I never understood why DC and Marvel didn't put exclusive content in their digital first books that mm-hmm. won't eventually be reprinted. But, like, you know, if you bought a comic from Comixology, you would get a free who's who thing. And eventually they can, you know, put that into a, a, a trade or something, but... Give people incentive to buy the digital. That's a good point. Thank you, Zach. Anything else to say about this issue? This issue was, um, like I said, it was illustrated by a number of people, and so maybe it's not the smoothest of illustrated issues. Um, but I think overall it was, it certainly felt like, it felt at peace with the crossover. It didn't, didn't stick out in any way. Uh, what did you guys think of the art in this issue? I think Carlo Pagalion's doing great work still. I, I I absolutely love what he's become one of my favorite artists in DC stable. And I, that feels pretty unlikely because they have a lot of great artists right now and, and, and he's kind of flying under the radar. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. This is still, you know, really good work um, from him. Is there any, uh, is there anything else you guys want to mention about this issue before we move on? Uh, just, you know, every, every, everybody should be picking up Deathstroke. I'm going to say it every time this comes up. It's the best. Yeah, I can't yeah. argue with that. Yeah, it, it is the best. It's somehow both the best, and I feel like, it's weird. I feel like everybody acknowledges that, yes, it is the best, but it's also somehow like underrated. I don't know how that's possible. But it is. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's move on. We're going to, uh, in the interest of full disclosure here, we are recording this very, very late, as I mentioned earlier. And we have to, I have to turn around and edit this show very quickly. So we're going to be a little bit shorter than usual tonight. So let's get right to Action Comics number 980, written by Dan Jurgens, illustrated by Patrick Zercher, uh, featuring <coughs> the most... Uh, a gratuitous ass shot of all time on the cover of Zod. Those tight, tight buns of steel. Oh man! Known, known for his famous ass. He is he is famously known. It's Dick Grayson number one, and then uh, Zod number two in terms of uh, DC derrieres. <laughs> this is also the name of my spinoff podcast. <laughs> So After it's, dark. Worth, it's worth noting really quick before we get into this that this issue is terrible. <laughs> is preceded well, it's terrible, but it's also preceded by possibly the worst issue of Suicide Squad so far, um, chronologically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, which yep. we'll talk about that later. But yeah, we will. The, the the events of this issue directly follow that one. That is true. Um. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> uh-huh. This issue is like the the absolute definition of a filler issue of the uh, comic. Nothing happens in this issue. Uh, 
<laughs> characters just blatantly restate things that were said last issue in in really obnoxious ways. How about how about the very page b- earlier in this very same comic? <laughs> uh, to what are you referring to there? There's the right off the bat, Cyborg Superman has like all the the Revenge Squad lined up, uh-huh. and he's going down the line and he's saying like. Well, you hate Superman because he denies his Kryptonian heritage, and you hate Superman because he he didn't save your family. And he's telling them all this. And then on the very next page, each individual character gets their own panel to say, like, <laughs> if Superman doesn't accept his Kryptonian heritage, then he is my mortal enemy or something like that. You know, it's literally these characters are being told how they feel, and then they're turning around on the very next page and spitting it back at you again i can't believe that the like dan jurgens must just get away with whatever he wants like no editing or anything (laughs) or they just recognize that this is a twice monthly published book that just needs to waste time because jesus christ this issue i can't take it anymore (laughs) i (laughs) i think my least favorite bit of it and it's it's inconsequential in the long run is how there was a whole conversation last issue between Lois and Clark about their apartment <laughs> and how yeah, I know what you're going to say and how they say like no matter what I move so fast no one will see me get in and out of this apartment and like he says it right to Lois's face and then this issue presumably less than a day later uh, he flies in and she's like what if someone sees you and like it took all of my strength to not in a superman voice be like you dumb person i just told you this like what the hell is wrong with you but also he says his explanation is not at the speeds i'm moving but then like as he's exiting the apartment he's just like standing on the balcony yes! <laughs> it's it is mind numbing it's exactly what I was talking about two weeks ago when I when I said that, that this is stuff that in a good book you would just breeze right by. Well, first of all, a good book wouldn't spend pages and pages on this, but it's a little detail that you wouldn't necessarily think about because you're moving, the book is entertaining, you can get away with little things like that. You can get away with, oh, everybody would clearly know that that's Superman and Clark Kent and they're one and the same now. You can get away with that because who cares if the book is entertaining and good. But when it's like this, like, turgid and slow and repetitive, you start to notice this shit and it takes up way too much time. And I'm like, why are they having this conversation again? Like, they literally just did this. And then it's not even going to matter because the number of times Jurgens is going to show him probably coming in and out of that damn uh, porch or whatever you call it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's beyond belief that, 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 that stuff makes it into these comics and isn't edited out. Like if I'm an editor with any sway at all, I'm saying like, do we really need this conversation? Well, I mean, what do you think is going to happen with his like fake zombie family? Like, oh, God. <laughs> like, where do you think that's going to go? <laughs> Those can't be my real parents. Yeah. <laughs> they must be some sort of zombie. But then he's going to like treat them like he's their mother like he like uh, I don't know. He's going to treat them like they're real. Yeah, he's going to treat them like they're real like and then, then he'll be surprised again that wait a minute, her head fell off. <laughs> <laughs> the zombie. 
Ah. It's a shame, too, because I think Patrick Zercher is doing some pretty nice work on this, visually. He is, yeah. He is. For sure. Um, I can barely see it through my rage tears. <laughs> you know, and I think the part where Superman and Cyborg Superman and everybody ends up in the Black Vault mm-hmm. um, from Suicide Squad, I thought that that was potentially an uh, interesting idea. And then Jurgens just does the least interesting thing you can think of with it, you know? Like, the, it, it, first of all, the Black Vault, this, this is going to, hold on, this is going to be timely. This is going to be a very timely reference. Twin Peaks is back now, right? It's from, good again. I was going to say, from what I understand, it's good again. <laughs> it's good again. Ow. Uh <laughs> Uh, um, but, 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 you know, they, they have something in, are you familiar with Twin Peaks at all? Either of you? Yeah. I'm not watching the new one yet, but I've, I'm familiar with Twin Peaks. Yes. Okay. So, you know, the Black Lodge. Yes. Like all this stuff happens in the Black Lodge, the supernatural stuff. And there's doppelgangers that are created and characters talk backwards and things like that. And I thought like, man, if the Black Vault were like a one tenth as interesting as the Twin Peaks Black Lodge. You might have something there. And like then it made me think, like, I wish comics, like, superhero comics would be allowed to stretch a little bit more. Because, like, what's the least interesting thing you could do when Superman goes in the Black Vault? Oh, make him relive uh, or, you know, see people from his past, but now they're zombies. You know, that's, like, the least interesting thing you could do. Get a little weird, you know? Is I, I, I just wish these comics would get a little bit weird, but I don't think Jurgens is really weird every... not a stick. Yeah, Definitely everything not. is so everything is so vanilla with him. It's it's uh so today I, I wrote the uh the soliciting multiversity column for DC's August solicitations. And I was talking about that new Nightwing series where he kills Superman. You know what I'm talking about? That um Yeah. The Kyle Higgins written yeah, series. Yeah, the the order the order something. Yeah. And I was I wrote that like just because something is the least likely option doesn't make it an edgy story, and I feel like just because something is the most likely option doesn't make it a good story. The whole point of reading anything is to be surprised, and I I can't remember if I've ever been surprised by a Jurgens comic in the twenty first century. No, like what has he done that has been different or interesting at all? I rest my case. Uh, Batgirl number 11, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Chris Wild Goose. Um, Delightful as ever. Yes, this is a good comic. A very good comic, I, I might say. Um, I have one very small complaint with it, but overall, this was a really fun issue. I think Wild Goose is doing such such great work here. I'm really, really enjoying what he's bringing to the book. And Hope Larson just, it, Babs sounds natural from her she just sounds like a uh she just sounds like how she should does that make sense like just feels very it just feels very much like the babs we've known for all these years she's a dang millennial yeah she is a dang millennial but but it's good it's in a good way yeah absolutely so what do you guys think i I like uh yeah go ahead oh oh, i was just gonna say i like black sun's costume make it such 10 out of 10 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I liked that opening scene where where he shows up and uh, he says, "I'm throwing Dad at a little party," and it's a like a retirement, yeah, you know, it's like a fake retirement party. I thought that was a very good joke, but I thought it didn't overstay its welcome. You know, it was like, here's here's this little joke, and then at you know on the next page, he essentially goes, "Okay, stop, enough, let's kill him." You right. know, like it was just just the right amount of. That, and that's what this book does so well. It's such a good balance of humor and lightness and like fun, sexy time <laughs> and, <laughs> and like Batgirl action. And, uh, and yeah, and that balance was struck really well here in what looks like it's the last issue of this arc. Yeah. Um, My one yeah. very small gripe here is, the book essentially played the same thing twice with getting that footage of Barbara helping the penguin. And like, I'm going to turn the city against her by showing this footage. And they did that exact same thing a few issues ago. Like mm-hmm. even with the penguin, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like I was going back to the well a little bit there, but I liked the way the issue ended with the penguin and, uh, and his son. And uh, yeah, this is a delightful book delightful anything else to add nope alright we're getting into the territory of <laughs> books nobody read uh, and no one should read so let's start with Batman Beyond number 8 written by Jan Durgens, illustrated by Bernard Chang who is still doing nice work on this book despite the book being utter trash so uh, Vince you page through this one tell us what you gleaned from the paging of paging through it well, all I, all I want to say about it is uh, <laughs> all I want to say about it is I feel like a big idiot, and um, and Dan Jurgens somehow managed to pull one over on me. But in my defense, it's just because I'm a total moron, and um, and it's not any bit of smart writing that he did or anything. I don't want to give anyone <laughs> the wrong impression. But I was two weeks ago. I was lamenting the fact that it appeared like like. Jan Durgan's uh, end game for Batman Beyond was just going to be bringing back connections to all of Batman's villains. Um, and somehow I didn't think, oh, no, Ra's al Ghul is Damien now, <laughs> <laughs> which is completely obvious, you know? Yeah. And, uh, like, I totally should have guessed that. But that and came not... after revealing a, a modern, like, a futuristic version of Bane. Yeah. So you were yeah. totally wrong there. No, but I mean, but but Bane doesn't have any progeny that we're aware of. And right, like, right. This was just the, like, this was the perfect move to make, considering, like, nobody else has really talked about where Damien's gone since, you know, since since Batman Beyond kind of started, I don't think. Unless I missed something, you know. He's just yeah. kind of been MIA. And it makes total sense. So, um it doesn't make the book any more interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, I just I want to admit that I got one pulled over on. on... You got Jurgens. I got Jurgens. I you know, I I pointed the finger and the finger pointed back. <laughs> As it often does. All right, that brings us to Batman in the Shadow, number two. Written by Scott Snyder and Steve Orlando, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. This book is uh, pretty good. It is pretty good. I feel like it. I feel like last week 
or last month rather, we were blown away by the twist at the end, which was somewhat explained to not be as crazy as we thought it was. But this is quite good. Yeah, it's you know, I I I this is gonna sound bad, but um, I wish this exact team were doing a book that that. I hope that after this is done, they're they're gonna do something. All these three guys that doesn't involve the shadow, you know. But I th- but that I don't want that to make it sound like I don't care about what's going on in this book. This book is incredibly good. It's just like wow, look at the potential of this team, and they're doing it in what essentially, in like the grand scheme of things, is going to end up being like a just throwaway crossover, you know. But it's so good. Yeah, Rosmo's Batman is something. Oh God, I love what he does. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it strange? Like that between this and and Night of the Monster Men, that like the Batman B team of Orlando and Rosmo are just the best. Yeah, it's the best Batman we've been getting post Rebirth. I think. I think Detective is still quite good. Yeah, but this is this is but a better I, Batman story than that is. Right, I don't even I don't really even think Batman when I think Detective right now. We'll get to that in a minute too. Yeah, we will. All right, anything else to add here? Uh, the Joker's back. He's good. Which again. Joker? Oh, I, I, this is number two. Yeah, this is the second Joker now because the first one was definitely in that Harley Quinn issue. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Joker Watch. Joker Watch 2017 in full effect. Who jokes the Jokers? (laughs) Oh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it, wait, guys, I'm going to blow your mind. Wouldn't it be twisted if Dr. Manhattan were the Joker? Oh my goodness, that would be just, just damaged. Well, let's, let's take it a step further, guys. If we're going down Twisted Street, let's, let's go all the way to the end of the cul-de-sac here. What if... The Joker we know and love is Joker number one. Dr. Manhattan is Joker number two. And the comedian is Joker number three. Oh, you just blew my brain balls. Yeah. You're welcome. That's twisted as hell, man. All right. Well, before we get too twisted, let's pull ourselves up by our our bootstraps here and talk about Blue Beetle number nine. Written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis, illustrated by Scott Collins, enjoyed by no one. Um, oh, guys, Giffen, DeMatteis, and Collins have done it again. <laughs> I hate these stupid, cheesy jokes they do in the titles. Is it just me or on the like on that title page? Does it look like like Blue Beetle's torso is on backwards? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. It throws us backwards. Uh, so this issue has a lot of things that I want to like. Has a little bit of Doctor Fate, a little bit of Omac, a little bit of Ted Cord, a little bit of Jaime Reyes. But this is some of Collins' best work. Collins' stuff looks good, but it's still a garbage comic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um. All of these great elements that I want in the DCU and I want to be good are just 
this is a it's a really sloppy book. Like I feel like it right now it's just acting as a corner to put all of this stuff that's not really being used that Keith Giffen likes. And like the bullshit brother I talk. Yeah, but they're exactly. Exactly. But there's just no real there's no real tether to it, and you can tell it doesn't feel important at all in the greater in the grander scheme of things. And I feel like what's especially insulting here is that this is bringing back a number of these, like you said, DC things that that Giffen likes, yet it leaves out the newer Doctor Fate that was very interesting and that would fit in well with the sort of theme of legacy of this book, but that's nowhere to be found. It seems like the OMAC here is about as dull as an OMAC can get, which is crazy because an OMAC should never be dull. It should be really interesting. It's just, this just seems like the least considered version of this book possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish that the, like, if, you know, at the very least, I kind of wish that the, the previous Doctor Fate team was writing this book. Writing and illustrating. Yeah, Paul yeah. Levitz and Sunny Lou would be knocking this out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, can we get Paul Levitz on a, on a book? Uh, uh, I'd, I'd enjoy that. As long as it's not a Legion book. Yeah, yeah, I don't want him to... Yeah, that's ground being retread that we don't need. Right, sure. we need we need fresh blood on a Legion book. Yeah, fresh Legion blood. Uh, <laughs> Although I actually sidebar, I was um, going through some of my comics recently, and I pulled out some of the pre-Flashpoint Levitt's Legion run. The one that the began with the Green Lantern ring on the cover. Yeah, that one. Okay, and uh, it it actually holds up pretty well. Mm. It's not the best thing ever, but it was enjoyable. Yeah, I might have to revisit that. I don't, I don't remember a thing about it. I remember I bought that first issue because of the Green Lantern ring on it. Yeah. That that was in my like craziest Green Lantern fandom. The Green Lantern <laughs> stuff was a huge tease, but it you know it was like it had like Sodom Yat, yeah, on Oa oh, yeah. as like the last Green Lantern, and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, those were the days. Those were the days, my friend. Now we got this. <laughs> That brings... Can I say? Oh, sure. oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Can Can I say that? Like I, the, Zach, you mentioned it. The uh, Giffen, DeMatteis, and Collins have done it again. Like, can we just not do that? Like, it, it's the same as the um, Trump reference they made last yeah. month. Like, like just th- this is not that book. Okay, it's trying so hard to be. Well, I don't even think it's trying that hard, but like these guys think that just because they did the Bwahaha <laughs> uh Justice League that like that like everything they touch is that now. And this is really not. And that's completely like uh, like it, this book doesn't warrant that, you know. It doesn't it doesn't have this it's just it doesn't have the tone that warrants that sort of thing. No. And it beca- it becomes annoying when I'm reading this garbage comic and like oh yeah they've done it again they've what what made a mediocre comic mediocre is a high praise kind. here yes it's kind 
All right, well, let's let's move on to Detective Comics number 957, written by James Tynion IV and Chris Sabella, and um, illustrated by... Uh, who did this one? This one looks great. It was... Um, was... Carnero? Uh, Carmen Carnero, who I'm not familiar with. But I thought it looked quite good. This is a, a spoiler-centric issue, and specifically a spoiler Harvey Bullock issue, which is a really <laughs> fun combination. And uh, what did you guys think of it? This was a uh, this was a lot of fun, and it was good to have Steph back. It was yes, it was a lot. It was a very interesting. Um, take on this character like you you guys all know that i'm like a huge steph brown fan and like that's my favorite batgirl run of all time and this is i've I've had to come to grips with this is not the exact same steph brown that that you know from 10 years ago or whatever right um doesn't it doesn't really feel like her you know her motivations are different um but i'm st- if this is the direction that she's going uh, in her personality and things like that, I really, really like what they're doing with her. Um, Making her sort of into a hero that doesn't want to be recognized as a hero and actually thinks that the way that Batman go, the way that superheroes or or Batman specifically go about their business isn't the right way. That's a that's a really I mean it's not it's not unheard of, but the angle that they are taking her on with this is really interesting. She's she's approaching it in a way that I don't think I've seen before, or at yeah. least I can't put my finger on. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely different, but I I I also think it's a natural like progression of you know how she would react to the things that have happened with with Tim and the, and you know, the manipulations of the Bruce and everything. So it's, uh, it's different, but it, it also makes sense. Yeah. I, I will say that I think this issue was a little repetitive. Like I felt like a lot of the stuff she was saying, she was kind of saying the same thing over and over again, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to show that Batman is not the right way and that the people are really capable of taking care of themselves. And I feel like she just, I don't know. It could have been a little, it could have been a little less wordy. Felt like at times it was a little repetitive, but the, but the concept of the issue and, and the way that it all played out was really, really interesting and fun. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the Steph Brown long game is here. And yeah, the it's fact, interesting. The fact that it's not clear is is great. I want to be surprised by it. I read comics to be surprised, so it's a good thing. Um, I will say that I, I don't disagree with you, Vince, about it being a little bit repetitive in parts, but I felt like because we've seen so little Steph lately, I feel like Tynan and Sabella felt like they needed to really reinforce her motivations at every turn. And sure. so I understand why it was maybe wordier or more repetitive than I would have liked. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, 
it wasn't really a deterrent to my reading it or anything, but um, mm-hmm. just something I kind of felt a little bit. I understand that. A fine observation. <laughs> Anything else to add? No. Okay, that brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 21, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by V. Ken Marion. Um, I know we, I, I didn't mention that we're a spoiler podcast up top, but I probably should have. But spoiler alert here. Um, this issue did one of the most classic time travel tropes you can do, which is to try to kill the villain. It's suggested they should, they should kill their parents. This is the equivalent of the baby Hitler conversation we have in pop culture all the time. Um, this involved Sarko, no Mr. Accent on the Co, being the son of Kyle Rayner and... So Did you say Sarko? Yes. Okay. I did. Okay, sorry. I, I was still making my Arya for the Dark joke. It's cool. Um, uh, being you know, the son of Sorenik and Kyle. And, uh, you know... So, I wasn't far off. I was removed by one generation. Who'd you say it was going to be again? In my... I, I thought it was Sinestro's son, but I didn't think about Sorenik. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, essentially... What we have here is uh, Sarko is Kylo Ren. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Worshipping his grandfather's evil. And, uh, you know, essentially being brought down by uh, by love. I don't know. Um, mm. This is okay. This, this book is just... We were talking before the show started about how this book is the least consistent... Or these books, the, the Lantern books, are the books we go back and forth on all the time because they're just so inconsistent and so maddeningly so that it makes it uh, it makes it really tricky to care about this book. Yeah, yeah, you you just never know what you're gonna get, kind of. And not in a fun Forrest Gump box of chocolates <laughs> kind of way. My son. <laughs> Sarko was my son. I, uh... Soranik. <laughs> I'm since not a smart man. Since I didn't read this, is, is, um... Do we know how Kyle knows that he was his son? Yes. Okay. mark on his genitals. Yes. <laughs> he peeked when he saw Sarko in the bathroom. Yeah. No, uh, so... Essentially, they remember that. Uh, is it that because John Stewart has um, Rip Hunter's ring, which has like lived through all this before, and so Kyle isn't this what happens? Doesn't Kyle ask that ring how to defeat Sarko? Yeah, and it says, "You know, tell me how do I save my friends from Sarko?" And it shows on him and Sorenik. Like bullseyes, and especially, and then it says displaying lineage of Sarko, and, oh, okay. and so you see that it's one of those you know, if you kill the parent, to kill every reborn type thing. Okay, that's a really roundabout way of 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 saying it. I think I think the ring should have just said, "You two don't have sex, ever." And that's 
That's not fair. Come on. Lance's got a bone down, man. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we're really getting to Star Wars territory if if uh, Green Lanterns can't have romance. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And they all hate sand. They do. Gets everywhere. It's coarse. Yeah. yeah exactly. <sighs> Let's... Uh, what did you guys think of this reveal quickly? Did it feel okay? Um, it's one of those things where it's in a book. It's in a book that I'm really ambivalent about, and so I can't tell how big of a revelation it is. Does that make sense? Like, sure. Is this something that Kyle's going to carry with him for a while now, or is he just going to be like, meh, I guess I don't have a son anymore <laughs> in the future? I don't think that it was saying that he doesn't have a son. It's just that he sees his son's death. Yeah. But but does he really feel it if it's not... You know what I'm saying? Like, how how much could he really care at this point? Clearly, you've never watched the Maury Povich show. <laughs> right? It's yeah, emotional. So should, wait, wait. So shouldn't he be dancing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that how you're No, because he is the father. Yeah, but but his, but the son died. Like if you're on Maury, if you're on Maury and you dance when you're not the father, what if what if Maury brought uh, Kyle out and said, "You are the father, but your son died," then they would dance still because they don't have to be they don't have to do the fatherly responsibility. That's a twist. am I wrong here? It's a very Joker way to look at it. It's a little <laughs> twisted there. Um, I guess you're right. All right. Moving on to our next book, uh, we got Justice League of America, number seven, written by Mr. Steve Orlando, illustrated by Jamal Campbell. This was a sort of a one-shot in the middle of the story here. We get a lot of Ray, I'm sorry, sorry, a lot of Adam and um, Killer Frost stuff. We get a little bit of Lobo, a little bit of Batman, but it's really a, a an Adam and Killer Frost story. And what did you guys think of it? Um, I really didn't care for the art very much in this issue. Yeah. You know, I think it's kind of a running theme with the DC3 that, like, this sort of, I don't know, like, static, somewhat painterly style is just not something we're into. Mm-hmm. Ariel Olivetti on, uh, yeah, exactly. On yeah, that's Quest. what this, yeah, 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 yeah. This is like a less detailed version of that. I I did think this was better than that. Yes, it's yeah, yeah, it's better than that. You know, this is almost halfway between that and what um, like Ben Oliver. Ben or, Oliver, I was gonna say, which who you love. That's I, do. I and I like him too. He's on like. I don't know. This his he's on the spectrum, the end of the spectrum that I like. Um, Even Juan Ferreira a little bit. Yep. Or Simon Kudransky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like, although but, I don't, I don't care for Kudransky that much. Well, he takes a lot of shortcuts, I think, and then like that's when I don't like at his best. I like him, but he does some stuff that it's <laughs> he cuts corners sometimes. I think. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. To me, this is just the least interesting version of that kind of art. But you know, you know what else though? I want to say Jamal Campbell was on one of the JLA one shots. I think you're right. Yeah, and I think and I think we kind of liked him then. So I feel like there's something about this issue. Maybe it's like a- the colorist or the inker or something. Yeah, it's a little less satisfying. Well, no, it looks like he did it all himself. Maybe that's it. Maybe on the other issue he didn't. I mean, we we need a little more information here probably, but yeah, let's see. Like let's I, I know I've praised his work before, and he's done work at Marvel that I've liked too. So I just think there's something about this issue. Maybe he was trying something different. Yeah, he did the Vixen issue. Mm. And on that issue... Of course, I (laughs) I can never find... like I can never just turn to the page that's the title page. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, no, he did it all here, too. It just Mm. looks different. Does it look? Does it? Are we? Are we not making that up? Is that? I mean, I think that the short answer here, and I'm just trying to push this along because it is very late. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is uh, is just you know some issues work better than others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the Vixen issue, if I recall, did not have a lot of like weird monsters and things in it, which this does. And I thought he handled the sort of smaller moments much better than the. Like, there's a scene of Lobo where he's supposed to be looking tough, and it looks like he's singing in, an, in like a choir. It's like, oh! His mouth is, like, wide open, and he's, uh... It just doesn't... I feel like his his more action-based, creature-based stuff did not land for me. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the, like, monster scenes have kind of almost like a Fraser Irving quality to them, but without yeah. that, like... Um kind of like surrealism to go along with it you know yeah that's a, that's a nice comparison too um i will say i like the budding killer frost ray i mean i keep saying ray adam relationship because <laughs> i think ray, ray palmer right ray, yeah ray, ray and adam were both characters and girls <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, okay, we're playing this game. So, well, and Ray and Adam Driver. Oh, that, that is true. Also, <laughs> all right. So, so if if the Justice League of America is the cast of girls, mm-hmm. is Batman Lena Dunham? Was everyone's just talking about him even when he's not there? Yeah, Batman's Lena Dunham. Uh, Killer Frost is Jessa because she has a checkered past. That's true. Uh, Vix. Vixen is obviously it's gonna be mean, but Vixen is Marnie. Vixen's totally Marnie, yes. Um Uh I, I would argue that um that the Ray is Shosh. <laughs> like he's new, he's inexperienced, Wait, he's great. How's the Ray not Ray? Because he's not, because he's Shosh, clearly. Black Canary is totally Ray. Lobo is obviously uh, Adam. Well, Lobo, of course Lobo's Adam. Come on, there's not even a question here. But Black Canary is clearly Ray. She's like the jaded... She would totally run for city council. Yeah, that's true. Yep, she right. would listen to tapes of of, of uh, 
Colin uh <laughs> of Colin Quinn talking about Brooklyn. So Yeah. Yeah. So, have uh, we lost this this isn't as universal as Seinfeld. No, it's not. <laughs> we're, we're going pretty deep into our girls fandom here. Uh do we forget anybody on the um, team? Well I I mean Oh Ryan you... Choi. Who's Ryan Choi? Ryan Choi is um Oh he's he's Elijah. He's fun. Everyone loves him. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that that really works. Okay, there we go. All right, moving on for so that we don't lose all of our listeners. Uh, although, by the way, yeah. I, I will. Accept, you lost me. I've never watched girls. Yeah. I will accept some fan art from people <laughs> of uh, of this team as uh, as girls. So That's not gonna happen. Well, I, I, I'm I'm doing the secret. I'm putting it out there into the universe. There should, have been, be. there should have been an arc where Marnie did the secret. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, uh, Brian, you're such a Marnie. I will fucking kill you. <laughs> the only, I, As I said, and this is the last girls I'm going to say, the only way the girls ending, the only way the girls could have a satisfying conclusion is if it ended with Ray shoveling dirt on Marnie's open grave. Because <laughs> oh I hate that character so much. Wow. She's the worst. Misogyny much? No, she's a terrible person. Not about her being female, but her being terrible. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. Command DC challenge. 3. What? The DC3 is problematic now, so. It is. It is. Um, at least one of us isn't fucking the guy from what from fun. I am. Oh, you are? Oh, congratulations. Okay. Yeah. Not not uh, Jack Antonoff, but the um, the lead singer. Isn't that the guy that, that, uh, what's her name's with? No, he's with the, she's with the guitarist. Oh, okay. Jack Jack Antonoff. Yeah, also of, uh, Steel Train, was that the other band he was in? Oh, maybe. Isn't he Bleachers also? Oh, maybe. He might have been in, uh, uh, what's that other band? Um, Anathalo. He was in Steel Train. Yeah, he was in Steel Train. Look at that! Right. Wears, Actually, wears many I, hats. I saw I saw them and the format right before they all broke up and made the inferior band that they are in. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that brings us to the commanding challenge number five, written by Bill Willingham, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Uh, we get a lot of weirdness in this issue, but uh, I, I this issue was actually pretty fun. I think this felt the most like a Kirby issue of that we've gotten in the last couple, but I have a feeling you guys are going to disagree with me on that. No, not at all. Oh, really? This was surprisingly good. Zach, you go first. I mean, uh, I really liked the art in this, and uh, the story itself was fine, but I also like wasn't very compelled by it. If that makes sense. Sure. Like, there's just not a lot going for this right now. Is it just that you feel like... Because I I think that the way to read this book in the most fun way is to look at it as just a series of one-shots that don't connect to anything. I think when when you try and take it in as a series, it can feel disappointing. Especially like you know, this issue ends on essentially Commandy being disembodied. 
gosh. So, like, you know, the next creative team is going to have to work with that. But as long as you just kind of can leave that stuff on the sides and just look at it as a, you know, these, like, fun little interludes that maybe don't connect to anything. But I think this one worked really well as its own little interlude. We got a lot of fun characters. We got that the, the sea dog pirate. We got that that tiger pi, yeah, yeah. you know. I think there there was a lot of fun characters. I really liked the bit about the plant girl turning herself into the raft, and then and then she's left behind, and they just they don't even consider looking for her again. Like she's just gone. <laughs> if we'll ever see her again. She died on the way back to her home planet. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I guess. I, I think I agree with you that this is, it is Kirby-esque, but not necessarily in the way I enjoy it. And maybe that's where some of it's coming from. You know, I kind of like the earlier issues that were more kind of like overtly Kirby-esque with like the iconography and imagery and things like that. This, um, you know what this issue kind of reminded me of? What's that? The um that Kurt Busiek's image book that's been going for a little while. Oh, um, Autumn Lands. Autumn Lands, yeah. Oh, with the great Ben Dewey art. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this reminded me of. Yeah. Just in terms of like the the kind of like visual style of the book, and obviously, you know, anthropomorphic animals right i can see that um yeah let's move right along yeah well actually can i mention sure go ahead uh this is the best or the most in a long time i'm sorry you, you broke up there for a second say that again oh i i said i this is the best that i've liked Ivan Rius's art in a long time. Interesting. I mean, I think, I think one thing that he gets tagged with a little bit is that his art tends to be kind of posy and like grand in a very like superhero event comic fashion, where it's just you know everything is this grand, big, very detailed, but a little posy or static, you know, and I don't always agree with that, but sometimes I do, but I feel like this issue was pretty loose and like, like, I think he was doing things here that I haven't seen him do in like the Cape comics that he draws, you know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Said, I'm, I'm behind you on that. Definitely. Yeah. It's know, nice I'm, to see him doing something not superhero centric, not Cape centric, I guess. Yeah. Um, and also kind of just like going off of that, I was recently thumbing through Sinestro Core War and comparing his art there to here, like, um, just seeing it, like how much he's grown is really kind of surprising because I almost would have, you know, thought that like that era through like Blackest Night, he was at the top of his game, but this is marginally like not marginally like significantly better really yeah wow although also tangentially related to that uh 
Van Skyver has always been Van Skyver. <laughs> unfortunately realized. Sounds about right to me. All right, that brings us to Mother Panic number seven, written by Jody Hauser, illustrated by John Paul Leon, and illustrated by Dave Stewart of the Mignolaverse fame. Uh, I think visually this was the best issue of this series, hands down. I really like Leon's art. What do yeah. you guys think? Yeah, this was good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the art was terrific. I think the art fits a lot better, um, you know, than than Sean Crystal's did. Yeah, which was something you heard me month after month kind of talk about. Um, I thought the story because because the art worked so well, I thought the story was a lot more straightforward. Um, there were some nice, like emotional beats, personality beats. Um, I feel like I, I feel like I know the characters more and understand what this book is trying to be more after this issue Absolutely. Than, than I have in any of the other six that came before. Um, and I really loved the moment and I've seen similar moments similar to this in the past but I love the moment when the little girl hugs her and she, Absolutely. Start, she starts saying it'll, and I think she's going to say like, it'll be okay or something like that. And she just knows that it's not going to be. And then she says, sorry instead. Yeah. That's, that's such a good moment. And they really slow it down for that page and, and you feel the weight of it. This, this was a really, really fine issue. I agree completely. I feel like that's the, uh, that's the best way to put this. I feel like this is the first issue where I truly understand the motivations at play here. And maybe that's on me more than the creators, but yeah, that's how I feel. Uh, it's been way, way too long since I've read the backup to remember anything that was happening. This was actually the first issue that I didn't read the backup, but it's only because... I just couldn't do it anymore. It's uh, at least like the past few issues. It's just been like that unbearable alt right, yeah, radio <laughs> guy just like spouting nonsense and yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I don't. I don't really get what it's supposed to be. I don't get where it's going. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. Um. All right, that brings us to Suicide Squad, number 18. I can hear Zach sighing forever. Written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Tony S. Daniel. Uh, I'm just going to say the worst part of this book right off the bat, <laughs> which is that there is visual like correlation here that's supposed to remind us that when Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn are orgasming, <laughs> Zod is shooting himself in the face with laser beams. And, like, there is even a joke made that, like, Harley thinks that <laughs> his screaming, because he's pulling something out of his brain, is Rick Flag coming. <laughs> yeah, that this was unbearable. The, the panel where they're supposed to just be passionately kissing, but it looks like they're about to just like bang their teeth together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks like they're doing that thing. I don't know how familiar either of you guys are with Top Gun. When, uh, yeah. when Iceman does that. 
Like he like yeah. he like Watch bites out. he bites down. Yeah, that's what, that's what they're yeah. doing. This yeah. is the worst. <laughs> the first four pages of this comic are just just the absolute worst thing <laughs> that I've maybe ever read. Dead Deadshot looking at the picture of his daughter and saying, "I'll stay alive, stay alive, Zoe, for you." That is the like laziest character beat in years. But I will I will say that this issue is balanced. It's not balanced, but it it both contains like everything I hate and loathe about this comic, and like that that bright that that speck of like what it could be, what like I know Williams is capable of with the Cosmonaut character and that yes. scene where he like rams Zod in the back. And then the following page, he just says his like little peanut, and Zod yeah. just says, "I find this planet confusing." Yeah, <laughs> that those beats, like that's what this comic should be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and I feel like something I've been saying about this comic is that it is actively, it's actively trying to be tacky and ugly. And I feel like completely vindicated by that opening three pages, like Zod, Zod burning into his brain to the fact that you get a one page spread of his like skull ripped open with his like throbbing brain coming out is proof that it's just trying to be like edgy and extreme and ugly. Yeah. Oh, you said it. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, the Hellblazer number ten, written by Simon Oliver, illustrated by Davide Fabri. Uh, this book is so boring. I just paged through it, and not even paging through it was there one panel that I thought might look interesting. Yeah, I thumbed through it and I don't I, I didn't see anything. I don't know. There's some werewolves. Um I, I just let me know when Seely's on. Yep. August baby. August. <laughs> Alright, that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is a fitting final issue to talk about, which is Wonder Woman number twenty three, the finale of the truth, written by Greg Rucka, illustrated by Liam Sharp. Um this is how you uh, end an arc. Yeah, this was fantastic. Um, just sorry, I get anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yes. No, just um, man, this issue really goes places. <laughs> like, like the the way that she defeats the uh, the twins with like her love basically yes it's so it's so like comic booky but perfectly wonder woman you know and it's kind of a it's a redemption for a wonder woman that has been in recent years a little more like physical uh as far as like fighting is concerned and things like that and here she finds a way 
Rucka finds a way that's like perfectly Wonder Woman to resolve this this conflict. And then just those final pages when she's looking in at uh, you know, her mother and yeah. all these people in this place that she essentially can't go back to. Just really nicely done, heartbreaking in some ways. Yeah, just a really great issue. Liam Sharp's a beast, too. Yes, oh, yeah. Is. This, yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting just how different these two, like, concurrent arcs feel to each other, even though they're dealing with, you know, the same characters and a lot of the same themes, but, um, just how tonally different they are. And I like that a lot about them. I'm uh, I'm kind of sad to see this wrap up. Me too. Me too. I I think I think in many ways Rucka is very smart to be walking away at this point because I think he got to tell the stories he wanted to tell, and it never got bad for him again. You know, uh, but I would love to see him on this book for another year. Yeah. I, I feel like he hasn't had the opportunity to do very much. He he did four pretty big arcs. Yeah, but like they were great, but the, I I feel like I I feel like there's so much more. I mean, they were decidedly six issue arcs. You know, I would have loved to see more interstitial stuff. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit with the Wonder Woman annual next week, but. Um, I would have liked to see a, 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 you know, like a one-off here and there. Well, I don't think this is going to be the end of Rucka writing Diana. I think it's going to be for now. Yeah. But you want to hear my big theory about this? Sure. So my theory is that he has, you know, he's doing Lazarus. He's doing, what's his book with uh, Scott, too? Oh, um. Oh, yeah. Uh, Black, Black Magic. Magic. Black Magic. And he has a book, The Old Guard, image right now. Plus, he's still doing Stumptown. He's he's a busy guy. I see one or two of those books going away in a couple of years. And I see Rucka as the guy to finally launch Sensation Comics, the second Wonder Woman ongoing. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Give him that little corner to play with. And you can do it, maybe build it around all, like, one-shots. All just side stories. Or... Or the opposite, give Wonder Woman the one shot. You know what I'm saying? Just do something. I think you can give it to Rucka and let him really craft that story. Yeah, who knows? If, uh, you know, the buzz is as good as as it's been, you know, if it holds up, we may have a big market for more Wonder Woman comics in the next, you know, in the coming years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, folks, that does it for us for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for putting up with our tired uh, bullshit <laughs> for tonight. Uh, but we really do appreciate you listening. Uh, as, please go to multiversitycomics.com. We've been doing a lot of great stuff lately. We have a bunch of new staff members. Check out writing from all sorts of folks tomorrow. You can, I mean, today, later today, if you're listening to this day it comes out, you'll see Vince and Zach talk about some, uh, some manga later in the day. And, uh, I talk about some Mignola stuff later today, as well as I review an episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. 
So, you know, there's lots of good stuff going on at multiversitycomics.com. You can also find the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, next week is the last show with the three of us for a while because Zach's in Japan, then Vince is away, then I'm away. But we're going to have shows. We're not going to miss a week, don't worry. But we're going to have some guest hosts in here. Uh, so enjoy next week's uh, special episode where we'll talk about Wonder Woman and the DC Annuals and uh, Injustice. And uh, maybe I'll whip up a game or something to play too. We'll make it a fun show. So until next time, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, call Fifi. Call Fifi. Have you have you seen have yeah. you seen this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of a of a random uh, girl's character to uh, mention, but that well, works well, too. Well, peace and call Fifi be with you. Oh wait, who would be? Um, Marnie's ex-husband. Oh, Desi? Yeah, who's Desi? Natalia uh, Al Ghul? Well, I don't know. I, no, we need like, no, a better JSA no, connection for that. No, because Marnie is who again? Marnie is... Uh... Marnie is... Um, Marnie's... Uh... Vixen. Yeah, yes. So... Why did you have to mention Desi? Because I love drama. Um, Desi, Desi is that like decorator that they have now at the JSA? <laughs> you mean JLA? JL, yes, yeah, sorry, JLA. Yeah. Like yeah. he's doing like the, because Desi's like a creative soul. You yeah, know? So, that works. And well, addicted to smack. Well, yeah, that too. Um, at least we know that. Uh, Vixen's mom isn't as terrible as Marty's mom. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks' wife. Yes. Uh, that character's name, by the way, is Xenos. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. That's right. All right. This is bullshit. Good night. Good night.